So that is one of the main goals of positive psychology is how do we increase our, our level of subjective well-being? What it does not mean is that we push down, quote unquote, negative emotions. It doesn't mean that we don't try to feel anger, you know, is that we say, oh, well, you know, if we're going through something tough to just put a smile on our face and, and fake through it, that's not appropriate and it's not healthy. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes, email me at andrea at furpaws.us, or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, hello, Positive Leaders. Man, we are really excited to have another super smart guest on today. Dr. Phil Richmond is the founder of Flourishing Phoenix Veterinary Consultants. Dr. Phil is a doctor of veterinary medicine. He's certified in applied positive psychology. He is a certified resilience trainer. He's a certified health and wellness coach with a specialty in behavioral change. He is a certified compassion fatigue professional and a certified QPR suicide prevention gatekeeper instructor. So Phil, welcome so much to the show. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. I'm incredibly excited to be with both of you. This is really an honor. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we have this tradition on the Positive Leadership Podcast where we don't read a bio. We have you tell our listeners about yourself. So without having to read your bio, please tell all of our listeners who you are, where you are, and what you're up to. Okay, great. So as you said, my name is Phil Richmond. I'm a veterinarian. I am a practicing veterinarian, medical director at a small animal hospital just north of Tampa, Florida. Also, I'm the chair of the Florida Veterinary Medical Association's Professional Well-Being Committee, which is really a passion of mine, and, and I know it's uh, one of both of yours, which is how do we infuse well-being and positive leadership and resiliency into the profession? How do we make it purposeful, meaningful, and sustainable? The reason why I'm a veterinarian is because I'm not a stand-up comic. Uh, my mother, God bless her, is 80 years old, and she was still still doing stand-up, uh, so it runs in the family. But anyhow, I digress. Uh, but that that's who I am and uh, what I'm involved in. I totally have to Google your mom. Give me her name. Like this is fantastic that your mom is an 80 year old stand-up. <laughs> yeah. So her her handle was Grandma G R G R A M M A R I C H. I think there are a couple YouTube bits on her. Oh, fantastic! Um, but yeah, she. Uh, wow. God, I mean, was she was she was in her like I think her early seventies. Wow. And she just said she was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do stand up comedy. She went out, learned learned timing. She got a, a couple old hat comedians 
to show her the ropes. It was just a, it was an awesome thing to see her do that journey. Uh, and I yeah, wasn't I brave enough so to cool. do it. Like her and I grew up, yeah, telling jokes and humor wow. in our family. So yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. That is so very cool. Right. So you have a lot of certifications and I'm assuming that you did a lot of you know, continue, it's called continuing education after your veterinary degree. Mm -hmm. You've got medical CE you have to do, you've got CE to keep up with those certifications, probably things that you do within those areas that don't actually relate to, you know, CE credits. Do you have a favorite, you know, book, podcast, formal course or a class or anything that's really left a lasting effect on you? And I bet you're going to say which one, right? But, uh, you know, if you had to pick one and you were to share it, we always ask our guests to share with our listeners because sometimes it's something that they could go out and and seek themselves. Absolutely. So the two things that I would share, one is, so really quickly, so I'm in long-term recovery um, from alcohol and substance use disorder. Reason why I say that is that that was where I learned all these skills initially of resiliency and spirituality and, and how to move forward in life. And it led me to being open to other bits of literature, you know, and opening my mind up. The book that initially had the most impact other than going through a 12-step program was The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. It was it was just very yeah. simple. Yeah. Wow, I remember yeah. that. And and you know, uh, I'll say this is the I think it's the third third agreement, don't take anything personally. Yeah. Easy to say that out loud. But the way that he explains it, essentially that, you know, a spiritually unfit person, you know, is that's who's going to say who's going to be angry that, you know, hurt, hurt people, hurt people, you know, is one of the things we hear in recovery. Yeah. And so that was, that was something, the way that he laid that out in very, just very simple terms, but on a spiritual basis, and it wasn't very like self-helpy it just really resonated. And we actually, for, for a while, used that book as a tool, as a management tool in practice. In fact, we were able to use that with the staff and say, hey, remember, you know, don't take anything personally. Yeah. You know, and, and we, could, we could refer to the agreements and, and have that resonate with our team members. That's interesting that you say that, Phil, because one of the things I took away from that book was something that I had turned and coined into Q-tips. And Q-tips mm. is but taking it personally. Yeah. Because there's so many times that, you know, as a practice manager, that clients are, you know, screaming in my face and the spits mm-hmm. flying and the cuss words are, yeah. you know, every other sentence right. or every other word. And I had to learn to not take that personal and not go home and feel, you know, epic failure over this client screaming at me or this doctor right. screaming that a patient died under anesthesia. Like I had nothing yeah. to do with that. But I kept remembering that book and telling myself, quit taking this personally, quit taking this personally. Right. And so out of that came my Q-tips. And I I tell teams a lot of that, just like you're saying, I share that with teams all the time, quit taking it personally. It's the situation that's heated. It's not the yelling, you know, at you, you can't take anything that's said personally, you know, in that. So interesting that you uh, pick that one out. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so many, but that one really yeah. still today, yeah, uh, right. you know, is, is, and don't, oh, <laughs> and don't make assumptions. Yes. You know, my, my father used to tell me uh, very colorfully how to, you know, warning about, about making assumptions, which decorum prevents me from sharing on, <laughs> on the yeah. air here. Uh, just when you say that, because David's favorite thing is going in saying, assuming good intentions, right? Assume mm-hmm. good yes. intentions, like go yes. in, you know, right. David's always it's, hounding on that, right? Assume good intentions. Yeah. That is it. It's assume- yeah. I was just saying, I just, I just don't think people most people are out in the world looking to screw other people. I think they're just Mm -hmm. really thinking about themselves and protecting themselves. And so, for Mm -hmm. example, if that team member is calling out all the time or quits and gives two weeks notice, they're not trying to screw you. They are doing what is best for them, you know? And so I just assume that most people you know, are nervous to talk to their boss or nervous to talk to a partner or nervous to talk to a coworker. And they're not, you know, scheming on, on how to hurt the business, hurt you or, you know, so I just think, you know, okay, they're doing it for themselves. And I just have to handle, you know, what I've got put in front of me. 100%. And David, what I would say is that that is the, the beautiful natural progression of that agreement. If we talk about don't make assumptions, expanding on that, don't make a negative assumption. Don't say exactly what you said is that the fact is that that person quit, you know, or the fact is 
that that X happened. And as human beings, we are meaning-making machines. We want to fill in the blanks when it doesn't necessarily need to be there. And what happens is, is we have a negativity bias, which is actually an evolutionary adaptation. And we fill in the blanks with negative assumptions. And then what happens is, and you know, I, in 12-step recovery, you go through this whole inventory of your whole life. And I found where I filled in the blanks and I made life-changing decisions based on things that weren't true, you know, that I assumed someone's actions were done because of this reason and 100% they weren't. And it's exactly what David said. So I agree too, is that when we can shift our consciousness or when we can shift to that assuming good intent, because exactly what you said, David, is that most people are not out to do that. Most most people are not making a decision. They're just not thinking of me that much. You know, they're they're just not. So mm-hmm. it's. It, I think we could spend the whole rest of the time talking about that. But, yeah, right. But uh, I love that if if we can master just that, just that, and this is a skill that is important in clinical medicine, important in client relations, important in team just relations, in life, and life, right, ev- right board, everywhere. Life, yeah. I have this thing that I I tell my colleagues and I've actually lectured on a few times and I call it the MSU and it's making shit up. Mm -hmm. I can talk about how we make these decisions or make these thought process based on, you know, what we know to be true, which is totally not true at all whatsoever. And so you just go to these places and you make this shit up in your brain and you go down this path and... And I feel like it's down this rabbit hole. And oftentimes I like have to pull myself back up again and go, what was I thinking? Like, where, mm-hmm. where did I go from this particular situation happened? And all of a sudden now, oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's totally making some shit up. That made me right. crazy in the head. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> which will probably sure happen a lot, which is hour, okay. Right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil, you are known yeah. for a veterinary team resilience and well-being. And when I looked up your website, Flourishing Phoenix Veterinary Consultants, I started geeking out and I was reading all these things about workplace well-being and resiliency. Why is this area of veterinary medicine so passionate for you? Why is this so important to you in your life? Well, I'll say personally why it's so important is, is without being over the top, it literally saved my life. So I talked a little bit about 12-step recovery and I was actually, I got to a point in my career where I was, I was suicidal and burned out. And I thank goodness my uh, my colleagues recognized what was going on with me, uh, and in 2008 got me into a, a treatment center. So I was in a treatment center for uh, for three months, and I learned a different way of of thinking. And I learned, you know, how exactly what we were just talking about, how some of those assumptions that I would make and filling in the blanks and the anger that I felt and the restlessness and the the irritability. All of those things affected my, my well-being and the, the people around me. So these skills of resiliency in the definition, depending on who you talk to in psychology, positive psychology, the core elements of it can be a little bit different. But essentially, the short definition is bouncing back from adversity. And what is wonderful, though, is if we're able to master some of these skills of resiliency, like emotional regulation, like self-control empathy, curiosity, and optimism. When we're able to master these, we actually can bounce back better. So we can be better than we were before. And those are the skills we just we just aren't taught in clinical medicine and in a clinical teaching environment. And they are critical to mm. not only well-being of the team, personal fulfillment, but the sustainability of the profession. Like if mm-hmm. I go home and I think every client is an a-hole mm-hmm. and I can't stand my team and yeah. I'm, I'm ruminating on all of these things and I get on social media and then just unlo- like, I, I can't survive in veterinary yeah, medicine. And I'm not unhealthy. saying that, right. right. And I'm not saying things don't happen. What I'm saying yeah, is, is that we have that negativity bias mm-hmm. and right. It is untrue to say that yeah. all clients are jerks. You know, right. it's untrue yeah. to say mm-hmm. veterinary medicine is a horrible profession that is going right. down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. And right. so I, uh, those are the skills that I was taught was to actually look at things through a different lens. Mm-hmm. It's not Pollyannish. Right. It's just right. saying, I would say, David, it's almost exactly what you said is that those skills of resiliency allow us to try to even look at 
life itself through mm-hmm. assuming good yeah. intent. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. I saw a post, or actually there's been a lot of posts and you probably, you both have probably seen these too. The profession is broken. Veterinary medicine right. is broken. No, it's not. No, it's not. It, right. it, it's a job. It's a career. I'm going to get on a soapbox for here a minute. We are mm-hmm. broken. That's what's going yeah, on. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. And we can put ourselves together. Yes. There's that beautiful Japanese culture. I, I don't know the name of it, but I heard it no, just the other day yep. where they take the broken dishes with, with and the gold. put them back together. Yeah. Yep. So there's nothing wrong with breaking down, you know, having, a, having a, a lot of horrible clients, stressing out about your business, losing money, firing staff, losing, like all of those things are absolutely horrific and extremely emotionally triggering. But the profession isn't broken because of that. People have pets. There's a million of them. They want them treated. There's 50 people that have emergencies and there's one ER doctor. So the wait is eight hours and they're pissed. And you know what? That's okay. It's not right how they might deal with you, you know, if they're being unprofessional or or whatnot, but they don't, they have a right to be pissed. You know, their, their wait is eight hours and they think their pet's dying. It's also not our fault. We didn't do anything wrong to get into this situation. So when I see those posts, Andrea and I, work with a lot of team members, employees, and staff. And, and there's a lot of, you know, how horrible things are and how mistreated they are and all that. And yeah, absolutely, there's practices out there that, you know, have poor cultures. But there's a lot of practices that provide a great paycheck, yes. a good work environment, right. and managers and owners who work 90-hour weeks to try to, to yeah. try to support the staff. And then the staff come in and say, we're giving our two weeks, you know, med vet, you know, paying a little bit more. And that, and that happens too. And again, it's not their fault for doing that, but it really, it really stings. And not to ding on corporate, but, you know, everybody does it. But the idea, I think, is that, as you said, Phil, it's it's those are all adverse situations. There's struggles, challenges, mountains. We don't think we can see over them. We don't think we can see through them. And yet here we are almost two years into COVID and we got through them. Practices stood up. They didn't burn down. They're moving through it. They're figuring out curbside. I think the good thing about those posts is the telling the clients, like, please be patient. This is what we're dealing with. But I also don't think Mm -hmm. clients are to be blamed for, you know, if they're unprofessional and crazy, yes. But like, if they're upset and they're venting about the profession, it's just, that's the issue. Like, we're facing all this stuff. So I I appreciate that you, you know, you brought that up and and I I will end my soapbox. But I do think that it's really (laughs) important that we see this as not a it's being done to us problem, but a how do I get the heck through this problem and realize that there is another side. And you have to also be willing to let go at some point. So you're certified in applied positive psychology. And we kind of uh, brought this up when with when Josh Feisman was on and has also you know mm-hmm. has a degree in that. And we poked fun, I hope you'll let us poke fun for a minute, that positive psychology has got to be cupcakes and kittens, right? It's all about being positive. For sure. Yeah. I doubt it. Right? And he Rainbows? It. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be great if you could reiterate what positive psychology is and and how the concepts of it are so powerful in transforming people and workplaces. Yeah, absolutely. So if we were if we were all sitting in a room, I would have us say the mantra three times. Positive psychology is not positive thinking. Positive psychology is not positive thinking. One of the founders of of positive psychology or the modern founder of uh, positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman, back in 1998, he was voted the president of the American Psychological Association. And up until that point, psychology focused solely on treating pathology. And he believed that one of the goals of modern psychology should also be to look at what makes people resilient, what makes people live a good life, what brings joy, you know, what fills our cup, is that that was as important as treating pathology. And so they came up with a, a theory of well-being called the PERMA theory of well-being. PERMA stands for positive emotion. So joy, gratitude, love, happiness, awe, engagement. So engagement really, I mean, we, we talk about this in, in the workplace, of course, is you know, just being locked in uh, and really, really keyed into the job at hand and almost losing ourselves in, uh, in the moment with that. Relationships, of course, positive relationships. How do we build relationships through vulnerability and high quality connection? Meaning and purpose, uh, the M. How do we, how is it that what we do 
makes us part of something bigger than ourselves is the bottom line. How are we interconnected with one another? And then A, achievement, which usually veterinary professionals don't have a problem with, and probably sometimes we take it a little bit too far, but finding goals and achieving them on a regular basis. So that is one of the main goals of positive psychology is how do we increase our our level of subjective well-being? What it does not mean is that we push down, quote unquote, negative emotions. It doesn't mean that we don't try to feel anger, you know, is that we say, oh, well, you know, if we're going through something tough to just put a smile on our face and, and fake through it, that's not appropriate and it's not healthy. I would say that the bottom line with positive psychology is how do we do more of what works? How do we do more of what makes us happy and do more of that on a regular basis? And to honor the negative emotions, to honor the tough parts. But like Andrea and I, were, we were talking about, sometimes that's self-imposed. Sometimes that yeah. uh, those negative emotions, I'm, right. I'm experiencing something that I don't need to experience. So some of those skills are, you know, I don't want to waste my energy on negative emotions that I don't even need to go down that road. I don't want to pay rent on a house that I'm not getting ready to buy. You know what I mean? So that's somewhat, I mean, we could talk for hours about positive psychology, but I just love it. I love the concept. I was enamored by it as soon as I, because it was, it put science evidence-based interventions and data behind what I had learned in 12-step recovery. It's kind of the stuff that your grandmother told you you know, about being grateful in that. Uh, there's, there's right. other, you know, all, all of those things that I think we rule, know. In, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, all of those things that basic. we know intuitively. Yeah, there's there's evidence behind it. So that's that's what's cool too, you know, being a nerd in science. That's, that's one of the reasons too why I love positive psychology. So we've talked about a lot of these different terms here. So we've talked about like resiliency, positive right. psychology, workplace well-being. And we say things like, you know, psychological safety and emotional wellness and regulations and, and all these chunky, hard yeah, terms that yeah. you got to really like dig into. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? And it's not just this easy definition, right? It's like sentence and paragraphs long. And then how does that apply to persons and people and workplaces and different things? But I feel like a lot of that is wrapped up in this EQ, right? Of a, emotional intelligence. And, and I feel like this EQ kind of then breaks down into all these different subterms, if you will. And when we talk about the importance of having, quote, good culture, right, define that, the, the importance of EQ in our veterinary practices, right, having good culture and psychological safety within our veterinary practices and our teams. So, you know, get on your soapbox and talk to us a little bit about this whole positive psychology meets psychological safety meets workplace well-being meets resilience type thing. And talk to us about the importance of EQ to all cultures and having that psychological safety within our veterinary teams and and within ourselves first, because we're the leaders, right? And then how do we build that with our our teams? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is what, what you said there with ourselves first is that it's really hard for us to give away to our team members something that we don't have. And we've got to walk the walk. You know, we've got to step out into this and and really learn learn a lot of these skills. One, they're personally fulfilling, but for the future of, of veterinary leadership, they're, they're critical. When we talk about psychological safety, I'll say this, psychological safety is a fantastic concept. What I will also say is that we all have been in practices, groups, what have you, that have low psychological safety. We often call those toxic workplaces. There's gossip, uh, there's there's a lack of trust. Uh, there's there are things where you don't feel comfortable s- stepping up and saying something. You know that's that's one of the aspects of psychological safety. But having a true psychologically safe workplace is one where mistakes, failure, if you will, they're treated as learning experiences. So that's one of the one of the foundations of psychological safety is. How does your practice, how does your team handle failure? Do you get lit up? Does somebody hit you with a flamethrower and you just, you hunker down and you never want to get publicly admonished, uh, you know, in front of your team members? Or does it say, I, does, you know, does the team say, I trust your competence and there's probably something in the system here 
that played a part in you making that mistake. And that's, you know, how do we, how do we become better with that? And so it's, do we have a growth mind, you know, and then we get into this concept of growth mindset, but how do we frame, frame mistakes? That's one, that's a pretty, pretty good way of seeing if we have a psychologically safe environment. Yeah. I love when you say we have to have it with ourselves first, right? And mm-hmm. and first as practice managers, but then also with our leadership teams and our practice owners. And I feel like one of the things that we have to do to be transparent and vulnerable with our teams is to let them know that like we make mistakes too. Yeah. Right. Yep. I remember one time doing what I call morbidity, morbidity and mortality rounds with my yeah. team is when we sit together in our team meetings once a month and we talk about a mistake that somebody's made and we talk about how we can build in some stage nets and never let it happen again. And right. the practice owner had piped up and had said, you know, I had, you know, Fido was hospitalized with us for a week, let's say, and owners finally decided to euthanize. They figured it was time. They come down. They, they called him and said, go ahead and come down. We'll go ahead and do this now. And he forgot to tell the front desk when he had hung up on the phone. And so the front desk comes in, they're like, oh, uh, you know, chipper, you know, trying to make them feel better because their pet's been hospitalized. You know, let's, you know, blah, 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 you know, whatever they said. And the owner was mortified that the front desk didn't know that they were there to euthanize. And so the the practice owner had talked about how he had made that mistake in in rounds that that at the team meeting that month and said, you know, listen, I I should have done better. I should have called the front desk and say, hey, the second they walked in, you know, usher them straight into this room. You know, we have Fluffy ready, blah, 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 bring him in. And and he didn't. And it it showed the team right then and there, like even the practice owner makes mistakes. Right? Like it's okay to make mistakes. You have to have that psychological safety because holy cow, if we don't, then nobody even wants to admit that they broke a piece of equipment or that they gave the wrong drug or they, you know, did something else. And so I love that to me, that comes from the top down and it's really uncomfortable be, to be vulnerable, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm absolutely. sorry, Dr. Phil. I just felt like I needed to interrupt you right there. Yeah, like, no, that yeah. Is, and From that, the top and, down, baby. Right, <laughs> yep. And we know how powerful. So the fact that you remember how powerful that experience yeah. was, we can go back and I mean, I can think of a, you know, a number of situations where I didn't feel like that, where I felt like right. I was belittled, right. mm-hmm. where I felt like, and I, I mean, I've had situations where Tim and I knew 100% that I was right. And that I went back and had, you know, and then I, then I get, I get into lawyer mode and I've got like, you know, six studies and everything else, you know, where I made yeah. the, you know, made the right decision. And I'm still, I, I still feel like I'm getting lit up. Mm-hmm. And so where that comes in is it's not, so this is where psychological safety, it's, it's not trust exactly. Psychological safety is that if I make a mistake that I feel like you are going to give me the benefit of the doubt, you know, trust is I, I trust you and I'm going to give that to you. But psychological safety is that I feel like if I do something, you're not going to come down on me and you're going to give me that, that assumed Mm -hmm. good intent, you know, or that Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to say, I don't think this has to do with your competence. You're an excellent team member. Let's figure out together. Like, you know, what, what happened and how, how we make things Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. And and so what goes along with that is, is openness, vulnerability, you know, our ability to be helpful and collaborate with one another. And then also Mm -hmm. too, is, you know, another big aspect of that is diversity and inclusion. You know, is that Mm -hmm. if we're going to truly be psychologically safe, that's, that's a big, big aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Now to get Mm -hmm. back, so you're going to love this. So Josh and I have actually, really had some deep conversations about this and like saying, okay, we know what that looks like then. Now we know what psychological safety looks like. Well, let's say you bring, I don't know, 10 people together into a veterinary practice. How does it happen? You know, how, how do you then create, cause it doesn't happen all of a sudden. How do you create that? And yeah. so what I, what I had put to him, now I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's my opinion, you know, for, for what it's worth, it's my opinion, but the foundation of psychological safety is the foundation for great teams. Mm -hmm. The foundation is that you have to have emotionally intelligent individuals. Mm -hmm. If you don't have empathy, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have these things, it's impossible for us to have 
I, I mean, this is, again, mm-hmm. my opinion, but mm-hmm. I, yes. I think that that's where those skills are critical mm-hmm. in that if we don't have them, then how how can we put ourselves in someone else's place? Because again, that also gets to be, you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt is like, you know, I don't want somebody coming down on me like that. And then also mm-hmm. the emotional regulation and this, and I'll tell you from personal experience, this is for me is that I know when I get, you know, come COVID, you know, when I'm having to see 30 or 40 patients a day, I am not, I am not the same person that I was before COVID where we, mm-hmm. we specifically made changes to our schedule to where mm-hmm. lunches were sacrosanct. Like no one touched that. Like you got yeah. that. Like I, we fought for it and, and then we even blocked off, we blocked off our 1130 slot right, so that right. we would do, you know, so we just stopped seeing appointments at 11, right. And so we could get stuff done. And anyway, what that did is for me, it, like I knew that that was something that I couldn't, I had trouble overcoming emotional regulation when I had six emergent cases and whatever, you know, the Dalai Lama himself would have a hard time being spiritual if he's quadruple booked you know with with 15 minute you know 15 minute (laughs) appointment slot so i know that about myself and we that was one of the big things too that we tried to do pre-covid and did a i will say we did a really good job at it Mm -hmm. i've noticed for me that that is the biggest challenge where i get into is that i'm overloaded and those character defects come out and i wish Mm -hmm. they didn't yeah you know and i and our team is very, and our team is very emotionally intelligent and, you know, we give each other a lot of, a lot more leeway, but mm-hmm. we also open up and just say, Hey, you know, and they, they know what's going on with all of us, but, right. but we did that groundwork before where we can honor, you know, honor where each of us are coming from. And so we've built right. up that empathy. We've built up that understanding emotions and others type of skills. Yeah. That's a great, point and and you know I didn't even think about it this way but if you think about so we're going to I'm going to take it and tr- you know change the lens to a manager's lens you know some veterinary managers do have you know some quote unquote office time where they can kind of work through a spreadsheet or digest a little bit but many of them are are balancing phone calls payroll employee issues client issues and, and their day is nonstop and I didn't think about it until you just said it right now when your day is nonstop and it isn't focusing on yourself, you're not regulating. So you are uh, basically discounting and ignoring the little things that happen every day, the frustrating drive into work, the client that makes us upset, the computer that is, you know, is glitching, the doctor that snapped at you. So if you think about it this way, if if I came in and at 9am, Dr. Phil, you snapped at me, you were really busy, really stressed, and I got you caught up. And then I had two hours where there was nothing going on. And I could sit and go, man, Dr. Phil, and then I would go, you know what? He was just working through his stuff. I get it. And I could do that regulating piece and that tapping into and the empathy and all these things. Then I'd go, got it. And about, you know, 1030 or let's call it 930, I would be ready to tackle the next task. But we don't do that as humans, as robots, as workers, or any of those things. We don't do that. And then we come home. And then what do we do? We binge watch TV. We do this. Mm-hmm. We do that. Whatever. Mm-hmm. The coping mechanism for that. And I didn't even Dump think about it spouse. that way. Right. And I didn't even think about it until you just said it that, you know, when you're, and, and I'll put it back onto your lens, Dr. Dr. Phil, when you are seeing, you know, 30 or 40 pets a day and you're, you know, 15 minute appointments, there are a million pieces of input that you're receiving, right? Smells, visual, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's triggering all these emotions. And sometimes it triggers and sometimes it's no big deal. But when it triggers, you literally don't have time to deal with it, right? And so you just push through it to the next appointment. And you don't even have it, you know, you don't have time to, you know, oh, I'm so frustrated at this or whatever. And that's kind of you know, there's some, there's some work in that, like that's being at a job and having work and, you know, it's, it, you, we can't, you can't see two pets a day. Like there's some realities there, but if you don't then give yourself the time to get through that stuff or make the self-care time or whatever it is, then it, you just see, that's what we call baggage, right? We put it in the closet. It sits there, it sits there, it sits there. And then it kind of, you know, overflows. So if you think about, and I'm going to turn this back to you, if you think about a manager's day, and this we do a lot of supporting teamwork on 
positive leadership, but I'm going to take this one for the managers. If a manager's day comes in and they are 100% of every day giving to others, they're giving to the clients, they're giving to the staff, they're giving to the doctors, they're giving to the owners. How can managers, if you were to put yourself in one of their shoes, imagine their day, what are a couple of tips they could use to you know, integrate emotional awareness and regulation so that they can be okay to lead a team? How can they kind of start to integrate, regulate, and, and be stronger in the areas you're talking about so that they can be there for their team? Because I think that we have a lot of managers out there that are struggling, you know, with their self-care to then be there for their team members. Yeah, there's so there's really a lot, a lot to unpack there, David. And what I would say is there are a number of things that we could talk about, but knowing that adversity is part of the job, you know, is, is part of what's going on is that being, being loose with our schedule, you know, and having understanding that, yes, there are 20 things that, you know, that need to get done today. I'm going to get, I really want to get three done and I'm just going to try to get those, those three done. And, and that, Anything we do to, to infuse, let me say this, that we don't want to put ourselves in a position to burn ourselves out every day, you know, and, and knowing that there are things that we can't plan for is scheduling breaks, scheduling time to, to decompress uh, are critical, you know, and I've, I've talked to our own practice manager, you know, and, and our lead technician about that is you guys need like an hour and a half or two hours a day where you go in the office, put a sign on there, and we all honor that unless the place is on fire, we don't come in there and bother you. And so if there can be those those times, and that has to be that goes against everything that you know, yeah, right. we, uh, we sometimes think, you know, growing up that like is I'm gonna schedule downtime where I'm not going to be present. Like I need to be but I need to be there. I need to be there for my team and I need to be there. And that's where that thinking where we have to be present all the time for everyone can be detrimental to our draining and exhausting. Yes, exactly. That's unrealistic. Yeah. So is honoring being able to honor those boundaries, I think are critical. And I, I, and that, that's what I would say. One, the evidence supports that, but two, I, I would tell you personally, that's been the biggest challenge for me myself during COVID is I don't get, cause I used to, I'm grateful. We build a functional training, you know, room upstairs in the clinic. And then I've got a, you know, my gym is like literally the closest building to our practice. And so I'd be able to leave sometimes and go work out for an hour and a half you nice. know, before COVID yeah. and come back. And that was just, that was my, my, where I decompressed. And, yeah. you know, and then getting those, those endorphins, changing brain chemistry, being able to shake off the stuff that happened in the morning. And then I was basically coming in for my second day. And so if we, we have to honor that we need those things, we can't, we can't be running at 110% on the reactor 10 hours a day, five days a week. And, and for 18 months now, right? And right. and I have plenty right. of practice managers. I just had one that called me yesterday and she says, hey, can you talk to me about stress leave? And she's texting me and I'm like, pick up the phone. Like this better be, you know, for an employee, not for you, you know? And she's like, no, it's for me. And she's got a lot going on. And, and, and you know, this is a typical conversation that I have with a lot of managers that I coach mm-hmm. and, and mentor. And I said, you know, in our practices, we have to control that chaos that's coming through the door. Because as managers, like you're saying, Dr. Phil, we're the ones that are going for, from the manager's lens, going for 18 hours a day, you know, 10 hours a day, whatever it is, consistently six days a week, sometimes longer. And and it's fine when it's short term, someone's on vacation, the practice owner's away, we're mm-hmm. down, you know, we're down staff, whatever it may be. But when it's been 18 months, like you now you just have to stop. You have to yeah. stop because there's a point where your cup is not filled anymore. And, right. and you putting two or three drops in it, you know, every day yeah. doesn't make up for the fact that you've completely dumped that cup out into your team. And, and you, you do have to recognize that there's times where you have to be emotionally aware where you are and understand that I am going to turn into the fire breathing dragon and rip your head off. 
because I have not checked myself, right? I have not filled my cup. I have not done what I'm supposed to do and take a break and filtered what's come through, right? And and put the caution sticker up on my office door for two hours to say, I just need some time. And I I have to take this time because if I don't, then my team is going to suffer, right? I can only pour into my team so much before I have to recharge. And right now it's been 18 months, right? Or however long it's been. Mm -hmm. We can do it for a short term. It's not a problem like that. We're resilient. We're managed. Like we've been through it. We've been, we've exercised that skill for such a long time. We're good at it, but we've never exercised it this long before. Right. And so I'm just screaming at my managers like, hey, stop. What are you thinking? What are you doing? Like, slow down. Filter what's coming through. Push that caution sticker up on your Mm -hmm. office door. Stick to your office hours. Take Sunday off. Whatever it takes for you to realize that you can't keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, It's scary because I have... I see it right before my eyes and I just see them crumbling and I'm like, Oh my gosh, not all the duct tape in the world is going to put you back together. Like that's what David was talking about. Right. It's not our profession that's broken. We're broken and not all the duct tape and super glue is going to put you back together until you recognize for yourself, some of that emotional awareness and say, Oh snap, this is what I need to make me whole. This is what I need to put myself back together again, fill my cup so I can pour into my team some more. And for everybody, that's different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So tell me what, if you could pick one or two or, you know, three or 10, what are a couple common mistakes that you see veterinary managers make that are damaging to the culture and damaging to our teams? But what are some of the specific things that you think that managers do on a regular basis that just totally tears culture down or things yeah. that you would say, just don't ever, for Pete's sake, don't ever do this tomorrow? Yeah. The, you know, I, I know Dave and I are in a, a group called uh, Uncharted and, you know, we talk about this quite a bit in there, but one is I would say is keeping uh, toxic employees, not, not correcting those behaviors that are not psychologically safe. And Josh uh, actually gave me this, this bit of information that I loved. And, you know, he said, everybody deserves an opportunity to be coached. And I would say that that's, that's the same. And I kind of look at it the same way in recovery is that, you know, not everybody is in a, in a place where they're, they're ready to change their life, you know, and and this goes to kind of what David was saying is that, you know, if somebody quits, it's not necessarily has anything to do with us. But what I was Mm -hmm. getting at is that is giving somebody the opportunity to learn these skills you know, to be able to learn how to coach them. But if Mm -hmm. we let that fester, it is, you know, and everything, I mean, you read Harvard business review. I mean, any, anything, you know, about quote unquote toxic employees, like that is probably one of the, the hardest things is, you know, is that because when you have good employees that it's going to bring them down, it's like, they're like, well, I'm not, putting myself into this, like in this environment. And so that's one of the things that I see that can really break a team, team down. Yeah. Two is being authoritarian. And I would say that most managers like really aren't, it's just sometimes we think that's the way we're supposed to be. And so it's, I would say not just being authoritarian, but be authentic, like know that the way you are that not everybody, you know, has a managerial style that's the same. And if you're a little bit more loosey goosey, that's fine. You just got to know what the pros and cons of that management style are. You know, you got to know what, know yourself, you know, know thyself. So I would say don't be too authoritarian, but also be authentic with that. And then uh, the last thing, which I really am passionate about is, not focusing on correcting mistakes as much as strengths-based leadership. So knowing what, what your team does well and how do you do more of that? How do we do more of what we do well? Instead of you know, thinking about a, a sailboat analogy, you know, sailboat sitting in the water, you know, got the sails up, you know, there's a few leaks in the boat. And you know, if we consider those to be the mistakes or the risk assessment or you know, the root cause analysis, 
we can go bananas trying to plug every hole in the boat. Yeah. But guess what? Mm-hmm. That boat is not going to go anywhere. And so if we mm-hmm. think of our strengths as the sails and the wind and the sails, you can have a couple small leaks, but you got a big ass wind going. You got, mm-hmm. you got everybody working right. together. Life that is pushing it forward. Yeah. 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 Right. Wow. And so, yeah. and so, yes, yes. If there's a, if there is a two foot hole in the hull, yeah, you better shore that shit up. You know, like you, yeah, so right. it's not, yeah, it's not, it's That's not toxic all, employee. Yeah. Right, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not, it's not all or nothing. It's not saying if you focus on strengths-based leadership, if you focus on character strengths, if you focus on uh, appreciative inquiry, all these, you know, big wonky terms, but which basically means again, doing what do we do best and how do we do more of it? If we focus on those things, the practice is going to go forward much better. And what's cool is that knowing the evidence behind that. And then seeing that was our experience about seven or eight years ago, our, our practice manager and I kind of got together and uh, had a different way that we wanted to go, you know, with the practice. And mm-hmm. we really focused on, you know, well-being, CE, empowering mm-hmm. the staff, all mm-hmm. these things. And we just focused, you know, focused on that. And not that we weren't clients. Cent- I mean, we secondarily were client centric because when those mm-hmm. employees were were engaged and they were supported and they were empowered, of course, they're going to treat clients better. Sure. You know, sure, and, sure. and so, yeah. yeah. And so we, we really saw that. And I mean, the, the gross of the practice doubled in like, wow. you know, six years yeah, or seven wow. years or something. Wow. And that That's wasn't our goal. Like that wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it was awesome. Like we got excited about it because who sure, does, you know, sure. who doesn't, but it was just like, damn, like we, you know, for instance, there was, there was an example where one, one, instance where we were looking at inventory and we were looking at like a $5 bottle of medication that was on the shelf. And it was like, we were taking time to say, well, we're not going to order that thing, or we're not going to order, we're not going to leave these, you know, $6 of meds on the shelf because we didn't, they expired. And it's like the time that it took to figure all that out, that didn't get us more clients. And there's, we have a limited amount of time. I mean, that's something that is, you know, my soapbox is as practice managers, as medical directors, we are not Walmart. Like we are not, we do not, we just physically do not have the time to invest in a lot of the minutia that sometimes we see in, you know, business courses or anything like that. Like, but we can focus on that, that big picture stuff you know, we can invest time in that and move forward. So anyhow, that's, that's my, uh, my soapbox. I just, I enjoy doing, <laughs> doing that is yeah. partly because, uh, you know, I got ADHD and I can't, I can't focus on shit, so, <laughs> you know, but it's, but that big picture thinking though, really, really pays off. So yeah. it's, you know, and so that's, that's what I would say too, is, is mm. just, you know, looking at that bigger picture, shoring up the holes when they're, you know, when they come in the hall, but really work us work on, you know, moving that boat forward, putting wind in the sails. So I remember that Josh mentioned a little bit about some of the work he does and, and you do in positive psychology um, yeah. that, that really is focused on tools and kind of outcomes. So there's, you know, you can, he said, or, or I should be paraphrasing, but you know, you, you can get a master's in theory, or you can get a master's in what to do. And, right. you, you know, he seemed to, think and maybe you agree that positive psychology kind of somewhat bridges the two like there's obviously a lot of theory and you read concepts and studies yeah. but as you mentioned perma and you have and and Josh have or probably are you know have or are developing or or con- contemplating some ideas of you know the tools that we need so we like to be very actionable on the positive leadership podcast so uh, dr phil are, are there you know one or two what are one or two really good action items that our managers and, and owners and anybody that's listening, what are a few things they could do literally tomorrow that could go towards promoting, you know, workplace well-being, engagement, positive culture? Yeah. One is what's your policy? You know, what is your program? You know, do you have one? Do you have one in place? And if not, just get curious about where to start, like be intentional. You know, what first things first, like if, if we haven't set that intention to create a program of well-being, let's start. You know, let's say, hey, I'm going to Google, you know, something and figure out, you know, do we have an EAP? Do we have, you know, an employee assistance program? 
you know, for, for our employees for mental health. Do we have that? Oh, good. I don't know if everybody knows about it. I'll make an announcement tomorrow. Just, you know, just in case everybody knows, this is one of the benefits of the practice. Um, you know, we have the, you know, just putting, putting something out there that there's intentionality behind starting a program. The second thing that I would say is there's a great intervention on gratitude and positive emotion, and it's called hunt the good stuff. And so this gets to be a, a little bit what we were talking about before when we were talking about neg- you know, negativity bias and negative clients and that, that type of thing is instead of doing that, be for one day, just hunt the good clients, the positive outcomes, the positive comments that you get from clients, the small and big wins, just be very intentional about trying to see those things just for 24 hours. You know, if somebody's angry, like do, do your best to put that aside. And when a client says, oh, thank you, you know, stop, turn around, put your hands together and say, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Honor, honor the good that other people are trying to give to you. And, and that is a, it seems intuitive. It seems like, oh, that's so simple, but you, you really have, we really have to try to do it, but it's something that we can do and build. So hunt the good stuff. I love that. I just, I just wrote it down and put it on a sticky note on the inside of one of my folders for my practices, because I always talk about like having the wow experience with a client and just one, just one per day, just pick a client that you're just going to knock their socks off and you're going to make them appreciate everything that you've done for them and then revel in that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just be thoughtful and where are they coming from and what is their pet need and can I carry this food out to the car for you and whatever you can think of to wow that client because the appreciation that you get back in return feeds your soul right (laughs) just nosh on that for like you know the whole rest of the day and then do it again tomorrow right so even if you have the crappy client or whatever you know you get an argument with your head technician, whatever happens, right? You know, if you do the one wow patient or wow client, and then you just feed on that and focus on that and then start it all over again tomorrow, then you just, you know what? Don't let the bad stuff take up space in your head rent free, you know, go to the good stuff. Put that in the photo album. You know, you put that, you know, you can sit and think about, you know, I'm closing my eyes right now, just thinking about an experience that I just recently had with a client. And I, I can remember that. And what's really cool is when we imagine something, when we, when we do po- you know, positive visualizations, but when we actually think about that, think, you know, think about where we were in the room, think about what that client was wearing, think about you know, how we looked at them, you know, trying to get as much detail of it. Our brains, there's so much crossover. There's, I think it's 80, 82% crossover or 88% crossover of what we visualize, what we actually see and our brain processes versus what we remember and imagine or bring to our, uh, our memory. So we can savor an event. It's called savoring. We can think about that event and we can be intentional about wanting to remember it and we can then experience those same positive emotions. So even if we haven't found anything that day, we can go back and and think of something. One of my go-tos too is when I got I got into vet school, you know, I remember getting the getting the letter from the mail, you know, it was back in the day when they they used to send it. I mean, they might still do it, but anyway, they used to send it certified mail. So I knew I got a knock on the door at like 1 p.m. and that's when the mail mail carrier got there and I freaking knew it was the my packet for vet school and I just went bananas and I hugged she's a, a female and I gave her a huge bear hug and pretty freaked her out but uh anyway so I can just think about that and and savor it and I can do that with experiences with clients too so I can put that you know back in the uh back in the memory banks and and bring those up when I need a shot of positive emotion Can you give me, or let's say, can you give your younger self a piece of advice? If you could go back as a a younger veterinarian or even, you know, earlier prior to all your certifications and Mm -hmm. understanding all this, are are young managers that are listening, and I don't mean young in age, but young in their career or or maybe still trying to like chew on some of this or, or don't 
haven't grasped these concepts yet just because the lack of experience. Can you give our listeners a piece of advice that you would say, man, if I only had known this, (laughs) you Uh, know? So many things. I would say, closing my eyes and thinking, I would say as, as Walt Whitman and Ted Lasso have said, be curious, not judgmental. Like that, you know, me, me judging other people and filling in the blanks, it gets to that, you know, assumption, you know, filling in the blanks with the bad stuff instead of assuming good intent, but be curious about why a decision is made. Be curious about what's going on with your teammates. Be curious because it's about changing the lens through which you view the world and the people around you. There is real power in that. I mean, that, that power of being able to yeah. change our perception, that knocked yeah, me off my sure. feet. You know, I'm, I was 34 years old when I got into recovery. You know, I'm like supposed to be, you know, like a grown human being. And the power of that, that I was <laughs> like, oh my God, like the, the gratitude, you know, when, that when I was grateful for something or when I was, it completely changed my perception of the situation that I was in. And this isn't, again, this isn't positive thinking. This isn't diminishing thing. This is Mm -hmm. stopping that negativity bias and Mm -hmm. me filling in the blanks with untrue stuff. Right. That there's just, there's just real, real power in that, that, you know, that's probably been the most impactful. I mean, there's so many things, but it's one of the most impactful lessons that I learned. I love that. I, I can't tell you how many times we've probably had three or four guests on here that have said the same thing. Like their piece of advice is like, just be inquisitive. Just ask, yeah. you know, just ask. Yeah. What you find is yeah. amazing. Right. Right. So you have had some amazing client experiences. I'm sure you've had some very interesting staff experiences <laughs> with your teams, maybe patient yeah. experiences and maybe even before veterinary medicine. Although I have to say that veterinary medicine has some seriously crazy shit that happens. Right. So I can't wait to hear your story. We've all had them. Those encounters that just make you like chin hit the ground, palm hit the forehead, eyes like pop like pugs and just be like, no freaking way this just happened. Pinch me. Am I dreaming? Am I awake? Did this shit just go down? So tell me your favorite story. And I totally get it if you have to change the names to protect the innocent. But seriously, you can't make this shit up. All right. So I'm going to say this story. So this is one. It's more like, holy shit. Like what? I just, I could you know, like you said, I couldn't believe this happened. So <laughs> I, I, so I'm working, it was maybe, I don't know, like 12 years ago. I'm in, I'm working in Dunedin, Florida. Our clients, one of our clients comes in and goes, holy shit, the roof just blew off of a house. Like we felt it in the clinic, like the clinic shook. And one of our clients was like, holy shit. The roof just blew off of a building. There was a huge fireball wow. that went up. And we're like, what the fuck? What? what? Wow. And so That's what like is everybody's you know, we <laughs> right. And we all think, oh, it's a, this is a meth house. Like right. It's clearly right. we're in Florida. It's a meth, you know, right. But, right. So this is there was enough time that went from the time that we heard that the house blew up until I'm sitting in treatment, arms crossed, leaning against the table, freaking busts in to firefighters. Like they got, they have all their shit on, like the helmet, whatever. They've got a gurney or they've got a stretcher. There's a dog on the stretcher with, <gasps> there's somebody holding an IV bag, like running in and they run and they guide them into the cert. And I go, I'm like, what in the shit is going? So it was a dog that was in the house that got blown up. Oh no! And so now, I mean, this is oh my god! Yeah. So we he he didn't he didn't pass then. So it was, but so anyway, it was like, but just the sight of wow. two firefighters like out of nowhere, you know, carrying a stretcher with a dog with some, and it was and what ended up happening is that one of the vets from a clinic, I think she lived near where the house blew up. She, she grabbed like a bat. She, you know, she had all the shit. She like put a catheter in the dog, like in wow. the, in the yard. And gosh, I was going to say uh, cool for the fire department. Dr. Do Dr. Uh, yeah. Dr. Baird. Uh, so I got a, a shout out to her, which by the way, David, I met her in a, we've 
circled around and she was in an uncharted group and i was like holy shit you oh. remember when that house blew up and you wow. did, she's like oh yeah yeah, the story like, you tell, you. Right? So, yeah yeah and so i was like i was the vet that took care like i was you, you ran by me with the firefighters into our treatment area and so anyhow wow. but uh Crazy. yeah so just burn yeah so head trauma bird page we we you know we stabilized the kid and got him sent to uh blue pearl um oh, but that was i mean there's so many things but that's just one i was I was not ready for that image. Of, Can't make it up. Can't, wow. Can't of, yeah, it up. like just full full gear firefighters with a stretcher wow. busting into the wow. into the like flying in with a dog <sighs> on a stretcher with wow. somebody holding an IV bag like it was something oh, like a movie. Man. Like a scene yeah. at ER, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, oh, I oh, I guess that I guess it's me. <laughs> I guess right. I'm the one Holy moly. handling no, this on. case. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> So, but oh. luckily, I, love, I mean, I love emergency medicine. So, yeah, yeah we, we that's amazing. But yeah. Yep. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. So I don't know that it would be a failure per se, but the lowest lowest time in my life when I was suicidal, uh, alcohol and substance use disorder broke um, and going into a treatment center and just the shame, guilt everything that uh that occurred around that and and thinking that my life was over and that turned into the most life-saving life-changing experience uh in getting into recovery and and uh, getting into veterinary well-being and having in learning all the people that were behind me and just eternally grateful to everybody that showed me the grace and compassion that that got me to where i am tell me about your proudest moment so my proudest moment, we uh, I'll say two of them. So one of them was what we were just talking about, closing my eyes, thinking about getting into vet school. Um, that was, that I was super, super excited and proud. Um, the one that was really humbling is I was uh, awarded the FVMA, the Florida Veterinary Medical Association Veterinarian of the Year for 2021. Congratulations. Uh, so just humbling, but I am really grateful that, to, to have been in that position. That's amazing. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? So vet med encompasses almost everything that I love. So science, building relationships, dogs, cats, tortoises, ducks. It's an environment where you can go from crying, from laughing to tears of love, you know, helping a beloved patient pass in, in a single day. And also say it's when you can go from great dad jokes to treating and saving an emergent case in the same hour. I just love being part of the transition of well-being and strengths and positive leadership in vet med. And and this part of veterinary medicine I love because of the amazing future that it holds for the profession and also the unexpected gift of meeting people like you and other light bringers to the profession. I, I just didn't realize how amazing that was going to be being on this journey and getting to see some of the people in this area and, and veterinary medicine. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Yeah, it's so very intentional. Gratitude practices are probably my, my go-to. Uh, working out, uh, physical activities, important. That has been rough in, uh, in the time of covid and meditation. So I actually use a headset that's called the brain tap that, that gives me about 20 minutes to kind of reset my brain. A lot of things, but those, those are some of the go-tos. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I, I don't anymore. Uh, I definitely used to. I'm definitely significantly better. What I would say is that it it's important to have captivating and important areas of importance outside of work, just being mindful of, of being a father, being present in my marriage, 
uh, and and also around my friends. So I'm much better at setting boundaries. So not that much work guilt. What keeps you up at night? Things that you stress out over, or things that cause you anxiety in your in your practice or your your business? Well, I'd say what was interesting. So we had it dialed in, uh, you know, right at 2019 for for a number of years in our practice. We had scheduling, staffing, you know, staff education, well being. Those are the things now that bring me anxiety. Is that there's just not there's not enough of me. There's not enough, and, and our practice manager goes through it. Is that we are just so busy that I see some of the things that I want us to address and it's hard sometimes to cut out time to get those done. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? <laughs> I'm a veterinarian. Like that's like, I, I get to, well, cat spays one. I mean, I love cat spays. I wouldn't say that I get to do it every day, but uh, just being like a kid um, and remembering that this is something that I always wanted to do and that I'm grateful for the tools that I have that, that allow me to love veterinary medicine again. Well, Phil, it has been an amazing pleasure. Thank um, you. Thank you so, so much. much for coming on. This is incredible. How fun and this? yeah, yeah uh, just so many mic drops, so many knowledge bombs right. and, and like minded people. <laughs> so thank you for being our guest and uh, we hope you well and stay safe out there. Thanks. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate uh, you both having me on. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.